do you own Bitcoin through Wealthsimple? Now, just the other day, someone was telling me about them wanting to get into cryptocurrencies and, and they said, well, they have an introduction to it because they own some Bitcoin via their Wealthsimple app. And um, I said to them, you actually don't own your Bitcoin on the Wealthsimple app. And the best way to note that is, do you have the ability to withdraw from Wealthsimple Bitcoin? And if that's not the case, then you don't own Bitcoin. And the reason why this distinction is very important to know whether or not you have ownership over Bitcoin is because Bitcoin is a self-sovereign money, which means you either have complete control over it or you don't. The way you don't have control over it is if it isn't in your possession, in your access, if you don't have direct access to it. And today in this episode, number 31, we are going to dive into when do you really own your Bitcoin? Let's begin. You are listening to Agakshi Palway and Keegan Francis, and this is Goful Crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Ragakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. On the topic of ownership, Ragakshi, what does it mean to actually own something, to own it directly? And this is the topic that we're curating the conversation around today uh, through that feedback that you got from uh, your friend saying, yeah, I, I own some Bitcoin on Wealthsimple. We're going to really explore what it means to own Bitcoin on a platform versus what it means to own it directly. Well, I think it would be good to establish a common definition or a definition, at least by uh, our standards of what ownership means. So uh, let's take an example. When you have a house and you say you own the house, to me, I would think you own the house only when you don't, you're not paying your mortgage. Um, because that's when the bank doesn't have access to take your house away from you uh, for whatever reason. If, in the event that you don't pay your debt, in, it, it's called a lien, actually. Uh, the bank has a lien on your house, um, which means they can come in and if you don't pay your mortgage, for whatever reason, uh, they can sell your assets or the house itself and, and foreclose on on your property. And that's, that's a bad situation. And to this me, is at least the system that we're used to in Canada yeah. it can be different in other countries. Right. So I don't have ownership over something. If someone else, some other entity or company or bank can tell me to, to leave my home. That's, that's an example of how I don't own my house. If I have a mortgage, if I own it through a mortgage. Exactly. Um, and then coming back to some of the examples that we have covered in previous podcast episodes, do you have direct ownership over the money that you keep in your particular bank account? Now, I know that in some countries in Europe, you do have that access because these banks specifically don't practice fractional reserve banking. Um, but at least the ones that I have experience with, at least where I have my money, I've had experiences where I don't have complete control or access to what I want to do with it. And I would, I would ascertain that as me not having complete ownership over my money. Yeah, I would say if someone else can act on behalf of the thing I think I own, then I don't have ownership over it. It's 
that's kind of a weird roundabout definition. Uh, but like in a nutshell, if I don't have full and complete say over how or when or why that asset is used, um, asset being money or hosts or car or really anything, then no, I, I wouldn't say that I have total ownership. And that's really what we're talking about today is total ownership. It's a subtle distinction to some, but an important distinction to be made nonetheless. Yeah, okay. So now that we've set the stage for what we perceive as ownership to be, let's dive into the topic of what exactly ownership, having ownership over your Bitcoin means. So Wellsimple is an example. Uh, for one, I just want to make sure that this is clearly articulated. Wellsimple is a fantastic application if you don't really want um a lot of involvement with the the facilitation of allocating your money in in different stocks and in this case even bitcoin and ethereum and yeah. something that i said to my friend was also if you if you don't want to have access to bitcoin um and if you just want to you know um Profit off of like the rise of Bitcoin, for example. Then yeah, exactly. Wealthsimple is a great application and to do that through. And if you only want to have access to um, your Canadian dollar amount as it pertains to the value of Bitcoin, then that's perfect for you. But you can't think that you have complete ownership over your Bitcoin if you have it through Wealthsimple. Yeah, so I, I actually ended up classifying uh, just here on our iPad, uh, like what is a way that you can conceptualize wealth simple? It's, it's an investment service. So we're going to be talking about two things, investment services and then cryptocurrency exchanges, aka crypto banks. And that's a, an important distinction to be made because of the level of ownership they allow you to take over your assets. So once again, Wealth Simple, it's an investment service. What they do is they simplify investment. That's kind of how, why they arrived at the their brand and their name that they did, Wealth Simple. Uh, I love their tagline, by the way. If you go to their website, it's Get Rich Slowly, which is the like in my opinion the absolute right message to be giving to people about investment. Uh, in my opinion, investment's not about, okay, invest in the stock one day and month and month goes by, two months go by and like, I'll see about 10x return. It's like, no, that's, that's really unrealistic. And you have to take some pretty risky investments in order to, to see that kind of return. Um, really what wealth, growing your wealth and growing investment is about the patience and like the slow weight and calculated decisions behind your, uh, the allocation of your money. Small rant there, but uh, Murgakshi, can you get us back on track here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you said that Wealthsimple is an investment service, as yeah. you've written down, and then exchanges or crypto banks. Um, I want to go on a small little tangent for exchanges being crypto banks because I spoke to a particular individual just this past week, and they were telling me that they have had this particular card that is issued by this cryptocurrency exchange, and they've essentially not had a bank account since having that card uh, in 2018. So since 2018, two years by now, they have only used their cryptocurrency exchange card and have been using the funds in their exchange as whatever amount um, to, to transact with with their bank card. That crypto exchange is kind of like a crypto bank then in that e sense. Exactly. And um, I just want to kind of uh, make a point that exchanges Sometimes you might not think of them as a service that also give you the ability to use the money that you have on the exchange, but that is possible and that has been happening. And I think we're going to see an evolution of in, in banking um, by um, 
Oh, the gosh. introduction of these crypto-based um, fi- financial for, institutions. Thank you for completing my sentences. I got you covered. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, nine times out of ten, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, we can do this uh, whole uh, conversational <laughs> gymnastics. All right, so uh, <laughs> there we go. So exchanges can be used as, as banks and well, simple is an investment service. And now let's go more into depth with um, how the ownership of your money or in, in particular your Bitcoin is uh, can be acquired after buying something on an exchange. Yeah, so with respect to Wealth Simple, you, you deposit $100 worth of uh, Canadian money and uh, you hit that buy button on Bitcoin. And what you see in your interface is, okay, I've just acquired 0.00023 Bitcoin. Okay, that's that sounds fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, what I'm used to, I'm used to dealing with crypto exchanges. What I would do if I was thinking about keeping that Bitcoin safe long into the future is I would transfer that Bitcoin out of that exchange and into a wallet that I control the private keys of. And if private key is a term that we defined in the previous uh, episode 29. Uh, the private key is what determines ownership over the funds. And I, I, I can definitively say I own my Bitcoin if I can prove I have the, the private key. These exchanges and Wealth Simple, they don't give me that key, and therefore they are they do not let me own my Bitcoin directly. However, most crypto exchanges will let me transfer that Bitcoin out of the service as Bitcoin. Wealth Simple will only let me transfer that Bitcoin out as Canadian dollars. So they say, yeah, you can sell your Bitcoin, uh, or you can transfer your Bitcoin, like you can close your position on our application, uh, but we're going to give you Canadian dollars. We're not going to give you Bitcoin, and, and for that reason, we, we don't really feel like we have ownership over the Bitcoin we own on Wealth Simple. Yeah, exactly. So with respect to exchanges, something that we've also covered in previous episodes is um, this saying, this popular saying that not your keys, not your crypto. That kind of um, goes. It's a mantra. <laughs> gives heed to what you just said with respect to if you don't have your private key, then you don't really have access, complete access and control over your cryptocurrency. And even on an exchange, that's not something you have access to because the exchange takes care of your money for you. So I would almost say that I want to kind of um, explore this dilemma of us saying that if you don't have reason for your money to be on an exchange, then you should probably take it off because then you don't have to worry about whether or not that exchange um, falls or if it gets attacked or you don't have to worry about gets uh, hacked being manipulated yeah. by uh, anyone. Any Well, <laughs> you don't have to worry about your exchange getting hacked and you having to lose your funds. So that's actually very relevant to like I think it was episode 17 or 19 we did an episode on Quadriga CX where the founder of the exchange died with the only keys to the exchange uh, and then like you know go check out that episode if you want to learn how that's actually not really the case of what happened but uh, long story short a bunch of people lost their funds because they did not have direct access to their private key they they saw okay I've got three Bitcoin on this platform great I own three Bitcoin hmm not exactly true because when the exchange went down there was no way to transfer those three bitcoins off the service into a wallet they own and it's because that service held those keys and so like ownership do i really own something if i cannot act on behalf of it i would say no 
Yeah, well, Keegan, what I want to explore right now is whether or not you should leave your money on your exchange then. Because right. initially I said that I know someone who's been using their exchange as their bank. And if exchanges can also be dubbed as crypto banks, then should you leave your money on an exchange? Because, look, we don't really want to be hypocritical of what we say about... Well, we have money on exchanges. Leaving your money on exchange. Yes, but we have a reason for that too. So, right. uh, like... We're specifically talking about how how to go about conceptualizing the balance. Like, how much do I have on the exchange? How much do I not? Like, what are the well, questions? Being, well, being clear on where you want your investment to sit for you, and if you have no reason for it to be an exchange, for example, if you're not using any of the other products that exchanges allow you, if you're if some if you're someone who doesn't want to. Uh, continue to um, switch between one currency to another for example if you don't want to trade a ton and if you also don't want to use any of these cards that can be issued by some exchanges so you can directly use some of your money spend on the yeah, yeah spend some of the money from on your exchange then you probably don't need to have money on the exchange because ultimately you do only have complete access, ownership and control to your cryptocurrency if they are not an, on an exchange, but are on your wallet that you can look at even if your wallet isn't com connected to the internet. Yeah. And that's the main distinction there. The, the term that I, I think I would use to sum up a little bit of this conversation is your savings, your savings account. Where is that? And do you own the money in your savings account? So if I'm if I choose to collect Bitcoin as my method of creating a savings or a store of value for the future, my future wealth, my future prosperity, then kind of the most important thing about that savings account is that it, it, it is safe and ultimately safe. How can I ensure that that money is 100% protected against counterparty risk and counterparty risk being that exchange is its own entity. It has its own issues and flaws or uh, things that allows me to do, but I am entrusting them to make the right decision and not lose my money. That's, that's what counterparty risk really means. So the ultimate savings account is something that I ultimately take responsibility for. If I'm the one that owns my keys and I'm the one that uh, that writes down my 12 word phrase and stores it in my five proof safe, then really I've taken ultimate responsibility for my future, my future savings account to be safe. And that's uh, whatever amount you think you need to have for the future. That I think that really defines the balance between how much money you keep on the exchange and how much money you uh, you keep in a, a wallet that you own. Yeah, I kind of want to draw an example of privacy for this particular um, statement. And that's because do you have complete ownership over how much information you have given to the internet? And how do you determine um, and how do you keep your information hidden from the internet if you want to? I think the simplest answer to that is don't be on the internet if you want complete <laughs> privacy. No, that that's true. Oh, I laugh because it is true. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, so many web applications that we have consented to our terms and conditions, their terms and conditions, we, 
oh my gosh, if we just take a minute, or not a minute, it actually takes a long time to decipher what they mean because <laughs> those terms and conditions are long. But you're signing away the fact that your activity is being used for by the application so that the, what they collect, the insights they collect can be used to sell us products. Yeah, it's monetizable. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, well, what is your opinion on giving away your privacy for the convenience of um, the whatever web application, but also the, the convenience of not being able to pay for what you do get in return? Uh, but in fact, you're actually spending your money by being on social media, for example. I, I would or, add to that. You're spending your money in the form of time. You're spending your money, but you're also spending your money in the form of being sold these advertisements, advertisements that you don't realize you're being sold. Okay, I see, I see that position as yeah, well. Yeah, and just an example, really like more of a short tangent is, Keegan, when we were looking for a couch a couple months ago, <laughs> and we weren't deciding which couch we wanted to buy, but we were looking for a couch, okay? And when you look for a couch, you look at several websites, at least we were. Yep. And we looked at one on Wayfair. And struck tube and Ikea. Wave, yeah, Wayfair is struck to Ikea to keep it really short. The next week, we received a flyer from Wayfair with 20% off and free shipping. And it had a picture. On couches. On, on couches, couches specifically. specifically. And there was a picture <laughs> of one of the couches that we had seen. And I remember looking at that and, and saying, how did they know the kind of couches that we were looking at? One, how did they know what our address is too? And, well, I guess we, they knew because we were on the website and we accepted the cookies. Um, I, I guess that's the answer. I wondered how they knew. And then I realized, oh, they knew because everything that I do on the internet is being tracked. And my address, how did they get my address? I didn't order anything. But You're in like dozens of databases with your address exactly. on it somewhere. Yeah. And, and do I have ownership over my privacy online? Absolutely not. Do you have ownership over those records in the database? Like even those rec even though those records is Murgakshi Poway, like et cetera, et cetera, lives here, phone number that, email this, right? That's not yours. Yeah. Right? You saw you hit that I accept co on cookies or I accept on the terms and conditions that says, yeah, companies are able to monetize that in whichever way they want. Yeah. I I, I don't wanna get too much into this because I don't have complete knowledge of this, but I remember reading somewhere that the GDPR in Europe gives you access to, um, if you go to a, any particular company and say, hey, I want you to delete yeah. all the records that you have of my name, um, that you, whatever history you have collected of me browsing your website, I want you to delete it. If you say that to them, they're they are supposed to comply. Wait, that's so interesting though, because like as a software engineer, it's not exactly black and white like that. It's not so simple as like, oh yeah, okay, delete request. Let's just like find your file and delete it. It's like, what about the database backups and the backups of the backups? Like how far does this go? And like, and when do companies at which size uh, like figure out how to actually implement that and follow through on those delete requests. And it's not has, an exact science. Has it already been sold to third parties? Yeah, so, true. <laughs> all these are questions that we're not privacy experts. So from whoever is listening, if you have an answer to this, please feel free to reach out to us and tell us. But going back to the ownership of whatever you own, in this case, it was privacy. But in the case of your money, 
I know that I don't feel like I have complete ownership over my money at the bank. And yeah. that's because of some of the instances where I haven't had <laughs> been able to access it or transfer it. Or I just, I don't have the right to do things because the bank has limits on what I can do. And not that, again, I not that exchanges don't have limits. Yeah, we, but, we, we told this story on the podcast before, I think. But like, just real quick to recap, we went to the bank one time and we wanted to transfer money to a cryptocurrency exchange they asked us what we wanted to do with the money. So we went in like, hey, wire transfer this amount of money. They're like, yeah, great. Sounds good. What is the purpose for this transfer? And we're like, oh, we're going to buy some cryptocurrency. And like not a second after that word cryptocurrency came out of my mouth, the teller said, OK, no, 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 we can't do that with your money. And I was just like, yeah, t tell me that again. What, what, what's that? I can't do that with my money. <laughs> Isn't that like kind of uh, like oxymoronic? Isn't that a paradox of sorts? And that was really telling for us to uh, that was actually, the, I think, the day that I came home. They it was have like, policy, too. Well, they said that it's they have the right to accepting or declining a transfer for any reason that for they deem necessary, necessary. Yeah. and it really wasn't like cryptocurrency was deemed illegal this was earlier this year so it's <laughs> it's not like cryptocurrency was illegal in canada then but um some banks have taken it upon themselves to have their own rights and regulations and policy around what they can allow us as consumers to do with our own money and i don't like that right because it's a slippery slope like it's cryptocurrency today what is it tomorrow that they won't allow me to take my money out and, and use my money for what like we can, you know, the slip. Uh, the censorship of what you think you have ownership on is. Is a slippery slope. Is foggy, is unclear if there is, exists censorship at all or the right to censor, censor at all. Yeah. So coming back to the entire <laughs> point of this particular episode is Bitcoin is a self-sovereign money. And we always point to Bitcoin because it's first to market. A lot of people know about it. It is the only cryptocurrency that doesn't have a known centralized source of in, or an inventor. Or did like has no direction uh, in, in the sense that there's no Bitcoin organization that is leading its uh, its adoption or its development or anything like that. It's a it's a mishmash of self-interested groups all around the world, which is the thing that makes it special at the end of the day. It's actually kind of one of the things that makes it self-sovereign. Like there's no organization that's saying you must buy this Bitcoin because it's this, 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 and this. Uh, the, the Bitcoin movement is really, really kind of cool because it's completely opt-in, uh, which is like, that's kind of what the self-sovereign in that means is that it's, uh, it's you know, you have to declare yourself someone who uses Bitcoin uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't and it doesn't matter if you do. It's like there's pros and cons. Uh, yeah. Did you want to continue that? <laughs> no, I, I was just smiling because um, the, the country that we live in, we must use Canadian dollar. That's what people see as valuable. And I don't have a problem against that. Comparing that just against this form of money that has existed for 11 years now. And it, it just says, hey, by the way, I exist. I give you complete ownership over me. I'm speaking on behalf of Bitcoin, by the way. This is my Bitcoin voice. Um, <laughs> if if you want to, if you want to in, take part in this revolution of you having complete access and control of your money, then I'm here. If you don't want it, then continue to do what you're doing. But I'm here. 
And the yeah, that's that. Well, it's good because I'm it's, to speak in it's kind of like <laughs> I like your Bitcoin voice. Thanks. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we should uh, circle back around to talking about uh, investment services and banks, crypto banks, uh, and then and then close the episode. I think that's how we <laughs> summarize and. and All right, Keegan, think out loud. Sure. <laughs> 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 All right. So. Again, there are investment applications and services where it, it's a service to you and that may be perfect for you if that's what you want. If you don't really want anything to do with whatever happens behind the scene, you just want to keep it simple, make it as simple as, po- simple as possible for you to have access only in one particular currency. These investment services are perfect for you. Wealth Simple. Wealth Simple is a fine place to start. Exactly. If that's where you choose to start your crypto journey, that's great. Yeah. We are talking about going one step deeper. We are talking more about taking control of your finances in your own hands. If you wish to do that, if you wish to have control over your money, then you have other options. And that would be to engage uh, an exchange or a crypto bank. To begin with, to get your hands on cryptocurrency. Yeah. And then again, going one step deeper, if you don't have any to do with the products offered by a cryptocurrency exchange you just want to hold cryptocurrencies for a longer term investment buy crypto and then move it off of the exchange to a wallet a software wallet or a hardware wallet and that's that's when you know that you have complete access and control and ownership to the access of your cryptocurrency via your wallet Exchanges are, are great if you want to use them as your crypto bank or if you want to use them for a, a, like a large that's suite a whole of products. <laughs> yeah, that's an episode dedicated to decentralized finance and we won't get into that there. But in a nutshell, that's the summary of what we want to drive home in this particular episode. Did you have anything to add, Keegan? I don't think so. I think we actually did a pretty good job of, uh, of summarizing <laughs> and then also delivering the points of crypto banks and investment services. We covered some pros and cons. We even talked about whether or not you own the data that you put on the internet and what it means <laughs> ownership of privacy to have ownership, ownership of, of your privacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think this was a pretty, pretty great jam-packed, information-filled episode. Yes, we hope so. We are not being modest at all <laughs> with respect to what we, how we think we covered information in this episode. But if you think that uh, we're being over modest or have any feedback on this particular episode have questions please feel free to reach out we love talking to people in the crypto world our email address is ready at gofocrypto.com and with that stay tuned and talk to you next time